Good morning. Welcome to Hope. I, I did not want to stop what we were doing just then and worshiping God. And uh, Matt and I were just talking this week about how we would love to find a way to figure out the way to do a worship night here. We, we, we had that figured out at the high school. We just haven't had a chance to figure that out because there's sometimes we need more time just to press into God's presence. Can I tell you, more can happen in those moments of worship than, 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 than days and days of counseling or anything else because God, when his presence is there, the word says that in his presence is fullness of joy. In his right hand is pleasure forevermore. In his presence there's healing, there's hope. And you know, it's good that we press in and we let God speak to us in those moments. Well, I'm excited for you to be with us today. I, I want you to open your Bibles as, as you do to Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 7. Uh, if you're following on Version, uh, just call up events. Charlotte Hope's Church will be there. Uh, follow along the notes. Uh, we keep stressing that this summer. We're trying to ingrain a habit on that. Really, here's what I'm wanting. Bring a Bible if, if, that is, if that is the best way for you to study. If you are technically in the Bible all the time through your phone or tablet, Version is great. But you need the Word of God in your life. I read a statistic this week. That in the church in America, less than 20% of people read their Bible every week. Now, I, I struggle with that because it should be every day, right? I mean, we need the Word of God in our lives. We just want to encourage you to hope we are a Bible-teaching, Bible-believing church. Because guess what? My opinion, your opinion, leadership lessons do not change lives. But the Word of God is living and active, and it sharpens, it changes us. And we need to know what it says. And that's what we're doing in this new series. We're starting a new series today. In fact, it's going to be for the next three weeks. And we're simply calling it Really. But, but it's not really. It's really. It, it's really got to say it that way because what the series is going to be about is we're going to tackle some Scripture and some thoughts that are so often misunderstood both in the church and outside of the church. But they're so important for us to understand they literally uh, can lead to life. So we need to understand really what the Word of God says to us. Now, I've, I've got to say something to those who were with us back when we were in the high school. Do you know what today is, those of you that were in the high school? Today is Lacrosse Sunday. And guess what? We're having church. To those that are new, what that means is for the last four years on this Sunday, every year, we could not have church because they have this humongous lacrosse tournament at the high school. You may have got caught in the traffic this morning coming in, and every year they booted us out. So one of the things about being in the rec center is we get to have church. <laughs> Hallelujah. Look, let's pray. Let's open our hearts to God. Matthew chapter 7 is where we're going to begin. Father, God, I pray this morning, God, in this incredible scripture, God, that brings so much life or can bring so much death, God, if not understood right. Father, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds. God, give us wisdom. And God, most of all, God, let us be open to hear what your spirit would say to us through your word this morning. God, we thank you. We thank you for your presence here. God, we thank you for the privilege we have, God, to serve you together. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So today... We're going to look into probably the number one most quoted verse in the Bible by people that do not believe the Bible. Yeah, that just kind of sets it up right there, right? Probably the number one most quoted verse in the Bible, outside of John 3.16, you see that at football games, but uh, that, is, that is quoted so often by people who do not believe the Bible. And it simply says this in Matthew 7, it says, do not judge or you too will be what? Judged. You know, usually when, when that verse is quoted by people that do not believe the Bible, it's usually said with attitude. Have you noticed that? It's like, hey, don't judge me. Do not judge because you're going to be judged if you're judged, if you're judging me, right? And it's this attitude that kind of comes out because, you know, people even that don't even know what King James is slip into King James in this thing. Judge not lest thou be judged. 
as if that brings a little more emphasis to it, right? But it's something that is so pervading in our culture that, that people believe this verse even when they don't believe in God and they want people to live by that verse because it says in verse 2, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And here's what people mean when they quote this verse. It means you Christians be quiet. You that can claim the name of Jesus, y'all just be quiet because you have no right to talk to me at all about, about life and how we live because after all, I can live any way I want to and as long as I'm not hurting anybody, what business is it yours anyway? Do not judge lest you be judged. Now, I'm gonna argue this morning, this is probably one of the most pervasive values that is forming in our culture today. We talked a little bit about it last week about really what, what tolerance is and what intolerance is. And we are to be, God calls us to be people that love everybody and speak truth in, in ways that honor him. But really what the culture is shaping of tolerance really means this. It means that everything and every kind of behavior, every kind of belief is equally the same and you have no right to say anything about anyone about anything because there is no right or wrong. So don't judge because after all, what? You're going to be judged. And it pervades so much of our thinking, but be honest this morning, guys, it feels awful to be judged, doesn't it? Anyone ever been judged? I have. It doesn't feel good, does it? It doesn't feel good to be judged for things that are so outside of your control. And so often in the church, we have to deal with this because we are human. We're, we're people that are saved by grace, and we, we don't get everything right all the time. You'll learn if you're part of hope. We are, we're, we're growing in our knowledge of God's Word. We're trying to get it right, but sometimes we don't. But, you know, even in the church sometimes, we can get judged, and it feels awful. But yet somehow, the world perceives the church as this judgmental organization that just wants to speak against everything there is in life. You know, the theme alone is probably the number one theme that drives non-Christians away from Christianity, if we're very honest with it. It's probably the number one things that keep people away from following Christ. You hear things like Christians are so judgmental, they're so narrow-minded, bunch of hypocrites. I even got called old-fashioned the other day. That was a good one. I'm like, what, what even is old-fashioned? I'm not even sure what that means anymore. But what they were saying was, my thinking is not relevant now to this, this new value of, of non-judgmental tolerance. So you see, guys, it's an important statement that we get right because the Word of God says a lot about it. The Word of God says a lot about it. In fact, it was interesting to me, I, I read it Friday, that I'm, I'm speaking in, uh, in company of some very powerful people because Pro, Pope Francis on Friday, his whole homily was, don't judge or you'll be judged. And I thought, well, there you go. The whole world is talking about this, so we might as well see what Jesus actually says about this. Because here's the thing about the non-judgment zone. Here's the thing about not being able to judge or have any opinion about anything. If we take that statement at face value, can I tell you, it wipes out so much of what we do. If we're not supposed to judge anything, then you teachers have no right to grade anybody's paper. Let's just be honest. My essay is as good as your essay. My, my, my report is as good as your report. Who are you to judge? No citizen should sit on a jury and hold any criminal accountable. And no police officer has a right to stop you for anything. You say, Mike, that's stupid. That's foolish. You're taking it to an extreme. And we roll our eyes, but can I tell you, it's actually very complicated to understand what it means to do not judge, lest you be judged. I'm going to throw you some questions just to help you kind of realize how complicated it is. And it goes from the silly to the extreme. You know, do we have the right to judge somebody's style or maybe even their, their hairdo, right? Do we have, do we have a right to, to look at somebody and go, I just discount you because of the way you look? But we do that, don't we? We do that. 
Oh, I, had, I did it horribly one Easter Sunday about 10 years ago. Uh, we were, we were at, our, at our last church, we had a big stage, big auditorium, and I'd always kind of stand in the green room and look out and watch people come in. And this big old guy walked in, and man, he was shaved head. It was before I was shaved head. He was tatted up. He had his leather on, his chains and everything. I'm like, hey, it's my job to get him saved today because I already know he's got to be a sinner, Right? He ended up being one of the most awesome ministers I've ever met in my life. But I judged him on a simple appearance of walking in the door. But, you know, we, we think about it. We don't judge people on the way they look. Here's, here's the second one. Do you have a right to judge the married guy at work who keeps hitting on all the women around you? Now, let's, let's change a little bit. What if he goes to your church? What if he's in your community group? Kind of changes things, Right? So, so you realize how complicated it can be when we start trying to apply this extreme do not judge. Our culture, think about this one, our culture says that anybody can have sex with anybody. You can't judge someone's sexual life. So what if someone's having sex with a 12-year-old? Can you judge that? What, what if it's your 12-year-old, right? It gets complicated. So we need to understand what the Bible says about things that pertain to life because, listen, guys, we, we live in a day where I, I really do believe that people are looking for direction. Help us understand how this life really works. So what exactly does Jesus mean when he said, do not judge or you too will be judged? Here's how we're going to approach this over the next three weeks. And I'm going to give you a little Bible study lesson right now. So I hope you'll take some notes because it'll help you understand how you read the Bible. Because people take Bible, the Bible out of context sometimes. They take little verses and they make theology out of them without expressing what the, what the whole Bible says about it. So here's three things you need to always do when you're trying to interpret Scripture, okay? Please write these down, get them in you, all right? Basic understanding of how we read God's Word. Number one, when you read Scripture like Matthew 7, 1 and 2, you've got to look at the context. Who, who wrote this? Why did they write it? Who did they write it to? You've got to do a little study in the background there to understand where they're coming from. And understand that in context, you're always looking at what comes before a verse, and you're always looking at what comes after a verse. If not, you get in trouble. It's the old joke of the guy that didn't know how to read the Bible and said, someone told him, and said, just open it up and, and you know, just flip through, and when you're kind of ready, put your finger there and read something. And he did, and he, he read the scripture that says Judas went out and hung himself. He said, well, that's not good, so let's try this again. So he ripped it around again, and he put his finger on it and says, go and do likewise. Not, not a good way to study Scripture, right? You've got to read what's before, and you've got to read what's after. We're going to do that with this verse in a minute. The second thing you need to do is interpret Scripture with Scripture. The Bible, when it speaks of a topic or an issue of life, it doesn't usually just have a verse. It has verses, that's the beautiful thing about the Word of God. I'm spending uh, some time for a friend of mine witnessing to his, uh, this young man who's an, a Hindu who wants to marry his Christian daughter. And we're developing this relationship over the phone. He's up in New York. We're working together. And he's reading the Gospels right now. And I'm talking him through that. And I'm trying to teach him this, that the Bible is incredibly consistent from beginning to the end. It's a beautiful, beautiful book that, that there's no way man could have done just in his own strength, right? So you interpret Scripture with Scripture because the best way to interpret the Bible is with the Bible. Not with our feelings, not with our experiences. Now, let's be honest. How many of you have read a verse that, I don't like that? There's verses like that, right? I don't like that. Doesn't matter if you don't like it. You got to figure out how to apply it, which is the third thing. So, we're, first of all, look at context. Second, we, we compare Scripture with Scripture. And then we look at how we apply that. How does that work in my life? Because here's the truth you need to get into your spirit this morning. The Bible is not a text to be studied, but it is a letter to be lived you know, you can study it all day long, and you can have all the knowledge of how many verses and how many books and all that, but unless you're living it, you're missing the whole point. 
Because it was never written to be a text to only be studied. It only is a letter to be lived. So let's go back to this, and let's look at this verse again in context. So big question this morning. What comes before uh, chapter 7 in Matthew? What, what comes before chapter 7? Help me out here. Not a trick question. Chapter 6, right? So a good thing is you go back and you look at chapter 6. Now what chapter 6 is all about is Jesus is talking to the religious crowd. He's preaching to the church. He's talking about something that we struggle with, and that is hypocrisy. Three times in there, he has to tell them, look, you're missing the boat. In verse 2, he says, look, it's good to give to the needy. But when you give to the needy, don't sound trumpets and make a big deal out of yourself, because when you do that, you're being a hypocrite. He goes on two more times, and he, and he tells them, look, you know, it's good to pray. We should pray, but when you pray, don't stand on street corners and make a spectacle out of yourself. Verse 5, he's saying, don't be a hypocrite. And then in verse 16, he says, look, we all need to know what it is to fast, to, to let our bodies not control our spirits. He said, but when you do that, don't go walking around looking like you're dying. And he says, wash your face, put some ointment on, smile a little bit, because what a joy it is to know God in a deeper way through that. Don't be a hypocrite. So leading up to this verse of Matthew 7, 1 and 2, there's this whole teaching on hypocrisy. Now he comes and says, now don't judge, and then now let's see what follows. And what follows is interesting, because if you look at verse 15, in that same chapter, chapter 7 of Matthew's gospel, he says this, watch out for false prophets, for they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Now, let me ask you a question. How do you know they are false prophets unless you do what? Judge. So Jesus on one hand is saying, do not judge lest you'll be judged. But he says, oh, by the way, you need to make a judgment. Because there are false prophets that come among you that are, are sheep and wolves' clothing. Wolves, I always get that one messed up. <laughs> they are coming in sheep's clothing, but they're ferocious wolves. So he says, you've got to make a judgment. So Jesus is not saying that we shouldn't use discernment. He's not saying we should never correct. He's just saying, don't judge like a hypocrite. Say, Mike, where do you get that? Let's, let's go to verse 3 and 4. Follow this out in Matthew chapter 7. In verse 3, he says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? And pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You what? Hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. What is he saying? He says, look, don't, don't pick people apart. Don't pick people apart in their, in their little faults when you've got some really big issues in your own life you're not willing to deal with. I mean, that, that's, a, that's not a hallelujah scripture, right? But it is one that goes, whoa, okay, you're serious about this, Jesus. He says, there's a time to judge, but if you're going to judge, you don't do it hypocritically. You've got to look inward first before you look outward. So in context, really what he's not saying in, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 and 2, he's not saying you should never judge. He's saying just don't judge hypocritically. Now, now let's go to the second way of studying scripture. Let's compare it scripture to scripture. What does the Bible say about judgment? It says a lot, and, and I'm going to break it down in four areas, but first of all, it says this, never judge superficially. Never judge superficially. John chapter 7, verse 24, the words of Jesus again. He says, stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. Now, now notice, he didn't say don't judge. He said instead judge correctly. He says there's a time there's a time you need to judge, but when you do it, do it accurately, correctly, not by mere appearances. But we all do that. Oh, she's so stuck up. She thinks she's so pretty. I, I just don't know why she thinks she's end all be all. 
you're the one being snotty, not her, right? You're, you're laying the judgment based on appearance. Oh, he thinks he's all that on Instagram. I mean, he's all over that thing. Look, you're the one that is obsessing on social media. You need to maybe like get a life on that one, right? Or one, this is the one I've heard a lot. Oh, those rich people. Man, the way they spend their money. I, oh, yeah, it must be hard. You have no idea. They may be giving away a percentage that is so much higher than the percentage you even think about, but we judge them based merely on appearance. Here's one that hits kind of home. Kid has a bad day at home. You know where we're going, parent shaming. Oh, they must be awful parents. If that was my kid, well, you have no idea what that kid went through this morning. You have no idea what's going on in that house. But we do that, and people get in trouble over that because we're judging solely by appearance. I've, I've been judged that way on both sides of the spectrum. In one of the churches I served, I had a really, really good friend, still a good friend of mine, who was very, very wealthy. I live vicariously through him. I can't imagine what his life is like, but I wouldn't want it. And, I, and people saw me hanging out with him because I, I hang out with anybody that'll buy me coffee. And, uh, and we're hanging out, and I, and I get this, well, pastor, you only care about rich people. You know, those ones that really give a lot, that's all you spend your time with. And I'm going, wait a minute. I spend time with the single moms and the widows, and, and I have no, I, I spend the same time with anybody that needs ministry together. And so I'm thinking that, and the very next week I get criticized as, oh, well, if we didn't spend so much money on the single moms and the, and the widows and all that, man, we could have a kick in youth group. And I'm thinking, you can't win with this bunch. I get judged on both sides, right? Because people judge by mere appearance. God says, don't do that. The second thing he says about judging is we should never judge hypocritically. We talked about it a little bit before, but check this out in Romans. Romans chapter 2, it'll be up on the screen. In Romans 2 verses 1 through 4, he says, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you're condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Boy, it's going to be quiet today. He's saying when we point out the sins of others, Check yourself, because so often the area you're the most judgmental about, guess what? You're dealing with the same sin. you got to be careful about that. He says, we point out the sins of others, we're condemning ourselves, because so often we do the same thing. And yet we get so up in arms, how dare they? How dare they? I follow a pastor in, uh, in Canada that uh, great, great blog, great, uh, great minister, and he was talking to all of us pastors in America uh, back when the uh, marriage amendment passed and we're dealing with uh, gay marriage and all that. And he says, welcome to our world. So when you're start ready to start, start teaching more about sexual sin within the church, then you can talk about sexual sin outside of the church. And we all went, thank you, that hurt. What is he saying? He says, be careful. We get so outraged about what other people do that we forget we struggle with our own sins ourselves. And then Jesus he goes on to say in verse 4, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, his forbearance, his patience, not, really, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? He's saying, look, God has been gracious to you. God has been gracious to you. Sometimes it's good to look back and know where we came from because if not, we get all high horse to where we're better than everybody else. He says, don't judge hypocritically because here's what happens, and you, you can write this down or see it later, but let it sink in. We tend to accuse others, but we tend to excuse ourselves. We tend to accuse others, but we, we tend to excuse ourselves. Say, so Mike, how, how does that play out? Well, you'll hear conversations, well, I heard 
And if you only knew what I heard they did and blah, 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 blah. Then that same person, someone gets critical of them and they're like, oh, whoa, whoa, don't judge me. You didn't know my intention. I didn't intend for it to come out that way. I didn't intend for it to sound like that. I didn't mean any harm. Don't judge me. Our harshest judgments often reveal our deepest weaknesses. Let that sink in a second. You know, I've learned whenever I find myself quick to judge, I've learned for me personally, that means Mike needs to look into a mirror. And I need to look deep into myself because I'm so quick to judge something. I'm like, God, okay, what's happening in me, Lord? Because I've realized over time that so often that which I'm judging so harshly is really revealing only the the deepest weaknesses in my own life that I still need God's grace and his mercy and his healing in. We saw this played out just a few weeks ago in a tragic, tragic situation in in Orlando. Just just think about this for a second. It's not been proven, but it looks like that this man wasn't able to deal with his own sinfulness And because of his self-hatred or self-denial or some kind of sickness, he was judging others for the very sin he was involved in, even to the point of taking their lives. How many think this subject's a little serious this morning, right? We need to learn to judge rightly. We need to understand what Jesus says about that. The Bible says we need to be so careful when we're judging others. We need to be so careful because we can be tempted right into the same sin. Galatians 6, 1 says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin... You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. So don't judge superficially. Don't judge hypocritically. Third one, here's the fun one. Never hold non-Christians to Christian standards. Never hold non-Christians to Christian standards. Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, a very interesting city, a lot of crazy stuff happening in Corinth. And Paul wrote to the church there, and he says this in verse five, chapter 5, verse 12. What business it is of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Hey, non-Christian, why are you acting like a non-Christian all the time? Because they're a non-Christian, right? You know, why are they acting like the world? Because they're in the world. He say, look, we, we got to get this thing turned around. We, we got to get things back to where it belongs. Because here's what happens when we judge someone that's not a Christ follower, and we're trying to hold them to, to God's standards, we're getting the cart before the horse. No, we, we judge even inside because the Word says that when we are part of the body of Christ, we encourage each other. We spur one another on to good works. We are iron sharpening iron. And there's times in the church, in relationship with other believers, we got to say, I love you enough to tell you that the path you're going down is leading towards death, and you need to find a way out of that. I love you enough to tell you that that judgmental attitude you have about everybody where there's no perfect church, guess what? There's no perfect church because you're part of it. So you got to stop that. And you got to come back to the truth because that truth will set you free. You see, we show love to each other. We gently restore people who fall. And why? Because we are family. And it's kind of like this. When Denise and I are raising our kids at our house, we had house rules. Anybody have house rules? Everybody, right? You just have some house rules. Well, if your kid came over to my house, I didn't expect them to know my house rules. That would be foolish, wouldn't it? But we do that at the church. We look at the world and say, how dare they not do that? How could they, how could they, how how, how did that happen? Because they're not yet set free by the love and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this. Even if we successfully convince non-believers to live by Christian standards, or, listen carefully, or somehow legislate it, 
Without bringing people into a relationship with Christ, all we're doing is populating hell with a much more moral people than they were before. Let that sink in. Don't judge me. You are judging me. now, pastor, thank you. I brought my friend today to be encouraged. You're going to be encouraged. All right? Because you've got to know how to live in this world. You see, it doesn't mean... It doesn't mean we can't call sin, sin. Nobody wants to call sin, sin. It's mistakes, it's failures. Call sin, sin. It doesn't mean we can't call sin, sin. It doesn't mean that that people can disobey God's law with impunity. What you sow, you also reap. It's a universal law of God's word. It just means we're supposed to leave their judgment to God and focus on ourselves, our families, when it comes to enforcing his standards. Because our job is not to judge them. It is to lead them into a relationship with the loving Savior, Jesus Christ, who set us free. Because the same grace that saved us, guess what? will save the worst sinner. The same grace that set us free will save the one that we think there's no hope for. The same grace that sets us free is the only thing that can break the bondage that so many people live in today, and as the Bible says, as once we were. And that is our testimony, because we were brought out of darkness into his marvelous light. So that's why at Hope, we really, really, really want people to know that they're not followers of Christ. We expect people on Sundays to be here or listening on podcasts that are not yet followers of Christ, that you don't have to believe in order to belong. We don't expect you to come in and, and behave in, in the way of Christian standards before you belong. We want you to come and be part of this family because you come around us, you begin to see the love of Christ working in all of our lives because there's not a perfect one in the bunch, and can I get an amen to that? And it starts right here. We need the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, that's what Jesus did. He loved people where they were, but he didn't leave them there because he loved them too much. It's not in your notes, side story. This is where the world takes the known judgment thing. The woman caught in adultery, okay? This is where the world goes. So Jesus is down drawing on the ground. People are ready to stone her. They're ready to take her out. And he just kind of never looks up and says, hey, he who is without sin, go ahead. Cast the first stone, they all leave. And those outside of the church read that scripture and they stop right there. They're like, see, he didn't judge her. He said, Day, don't judge her. Don't hit her in the head with a stone, okay? If you got sin in your life, don't throw stones. Good truth. But he doesn't stop there. Context, you got to read the rest of it. Because then she looks up and she says, he goes, where did all your accusers go? And she says, I don't know. She says, well, I don't accuse you either, but go and sin no more. In other words, something's got to change. You just experienced the love and grace of God. Now something inside needs to change. So he loved them, but he didn't leave them there. And that leads us to our fourth piece, and that is, that is this, and that we are to always, always help restore believers who have fallen. Because guess what? That's going to be all of us at one point or another. We should always, always seek to restore believers who have fallen. Galatians 6, 1 and 2, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Verse 2, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Can I tell you the most important thing in the body of Christ is relationship. It's relationship to God, relationship to each other. And when people fall... When people sin and when people disappoint, we, we don't kick them when they're down. We don't, we don't step on them. We don't write them off. We don't say, oh, well, they're just, they're just lost. No, we seek to restore. One of those beautiful stories in the history of Hope Church is actually one of those tragic stories. We, 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 we were into this, developing this church about three years in. We had a major moral failure. 
in one of our leaders. Destructive. Here's what we did. We called sin, sin, but we loved the person. We called sin, sin, but we loved the person. And we offered restoration right here. You, you can be restored right here. The family member involved couldn't, no, I can't do that. So we didn't stop. We didn't say, well, then good luck. No, we kept working. And today, this marriage is strong, and God's restoring them into ministry, and God is doing amazing things in their life. Why? Because the church did what the church ought to do. You don't shoot your wounded. You lift them up, and you say, look, it's wrong what you did. It's consequences to what you did. But can you not see the loving kindness of God that leads you to repentance? Because when he does, then all things are possible. You see, let me be clear about this this morning. This is who we are. This is what followers of Jesus are all about. Because the same grace that forgives us is the same grace we use to restore others. And that's how the family of God ought to work. We don't pretend like stuff didn't happen. You know, we're not people that do this. We live in a real world. There are people that just do stupid things. And our name is usually associated with that. We all do stupid things. But God says we're to restore gently. We're to bring them back in. We're to help them see not only the consequence but of, the, of their sin, but the, but the amazing part of God's grace. Listen, it may not be popular in this world to call sin, sin, but it just is. It's sin. There's no other way to, to put it there. We sin too, but we love people gently, praying them back to be restored and ultimately be promoted into the kingdom of God in the usefulness God created them for. I don't know about you, but I'm so glad we don't serve a God that gives up on us the first time we blow it. I'm so glad we don't serve a God that when you just have a bad day or a bad week or a bad year, or you just get caught up in a, in a deception that leads to sin that God doesn't sit in heaven and go, oh well, shouldn't have made that one. No, he continues to work into our lives. He continues to come after us. He continues to move in us and hope that's the church God has called us to be. That is the church that God has called us to be. He says there is something that works in us when two things happen. And I want to wrap it up with this because this is how we do this. How, this is how we do proper judgment, okay? We don't judge superficially. We don't judge hypocritically. We don't hold non-Christians to Christian standards. We always seek to restore. But we do this the same way Christ did it, and you'll find it in John's gospel. In John's gospel, chapter 1, verse 14, we're going to wrap it up here, says this, the word, speaking of Jesus, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Now, Mike's opinion, this is not how you interpret Scripture because just because something is listed first doesn't mean it's always first, but I'm going to choose this one first. I honestly believe there's a reason that in that Scripture, Jesus put the word out there that it was grace, then truth. And my, my reason of believing that is truth is awful hard to swallow when there's no grace, right? Truth is harsh. Truth, 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 it hits you, right? It's kind of like you parents, you know? You sit down with your little guy or your little girl, and you got to go, hey, this is wrong. This is hurtful. You don't smack your little brother in the head, okay, especially on Sundays when people are watching. But then you explain, but I love you, and I know you're better than this, and I know God has more in you than this. But if all you do is smack the truth, and what we do, we become this disciplinary and hateful body. But when you have truth and grace, it turns something inside of us. You see, if you have all truth and no grace, it turns people away. But just as all grace without truth leads to license, 
and says, well, just live like ever you want to live. It doesn't matter. It is the truth that sets people free. Listen, gang, I have to have this conversation a lot, and it's not easy. When I'm in the coffee shops and I'm meeting people in the world, and I'm getting to know people, I can guarantee you there's some hot-button issues they always want to know. Well, what do you think about this? Is this sin or not? Oh, man, that's always fun, isn't it? And I'm like, well, number one, I'm not God, okay? But number two, I do read the Bible. And number three, if you want me to have a Christian answer, then Christians only have one way to answer any question, and that is in the Word of God. So it's not my opinion. And you know what? I may not even like some of it because it hurts. But here's what the Bible says about this. But can I tell you, here's what God did to offer the grace to overcome that. That's what sets people free. People take a lot of pleasure standing on street corners going, you sinner, you're going to hell. <laughs> I had a contractor one time on one of the buildings we were building in South Charlotte. And I, I, I got to know him. We were, I was trying to build a relationship, to witness to him. He was rough. And one day he stops and goes, you know what? You're the only Christian that did not start a conversation with me with, you know what, you're going to hell. He said, I grew up in the South. Don't you think we all know that around here? I thought, boy, that's a great way to start a conversation. Judge not. should be not judged. Really? You see, the spirit of this world, the spirit of the day we live in wants to silence any voice that speaks truth. And we don't take that as some badge of honor to say, wow, we're so persecuted. Or we don't take it the other way, and that is, hey, hey, just tone it down. Let's make Christianity more cultural acceptable so that way we can hopefully bring more people in. No. Truth and grace. Truth and grace lead to people being set free. God help us if we start judging superficially, hypocritically. God help us if all we're doing is getting angry at people who are not believers yet. Because what good does that do? I can just picture God in heaven if that was the way it was. Every day he'd have to look at us and go, really? Really? But praise God, he looks at us and says, I love you. And you know what? You're not perfect. And you know what? You're going to do some stupid things. But I loved you enough that my truth is going to point you in the direction that is right and my grace is going to help you get there. And I'm going to, oh, oh, and by the way, I'm going to put you in a church. I'm going to put you around people that actually care about you. People that, that want to speak into your life. People that you need to get to know. Because guess what? When you're by yourself, it's typically only one voice you start hearing. And that's the voice of the enemy that seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. So don't be upset when you're part of the church and someone comes along and says, I love you. But you know what? That relationship's not right. I'm watching it lead you down a path of destruction. I, I love you enough to tell you that, you know what? If you keep going that way, you're going you're to reap some things that you're not expecting. But I want to tell you something. God has a solution for that. It's called His grace. So, what do we do? I think we need to examine our hearts, right? We're about to come to communion. Beautiful celebration we do every Sunday at Hope. And we come to communion. The scripture surrounding communion, you can study about it all the way from through Isaiah speaking about the death of Christ and then the resurrection. You can study about it in Corinthians. Uh, Jesus spoke about it. it. It always brought this point of saying, you know what? When we come to the Lord's table, Christian, examine your own heart. Examine your own heart. 
Because when you examine your own heart, what you do is you come to the table in response to God and you, you see this bread and, and the scripture tells us that when Jesus took the bread, he prayed over it. This was at the, the Lord's Supper with his disciples before he went to the cross and he, he said he prayed over it and he broke it. He showed his brokenness and he said he broke it and then he blessed it. He said, eat this, do this in remembrance of me. We take scripture, compare it to scripture, right? And throughout Scripture, the Word talks about God's, the body of Christ, the body of Jesus being broken for our wholeness, our healing, our completeness. So when I come to communion, I'm not going nice bread. I'm going, thank you, Lord. God, because you want me whole. And I can only become whole through you, God. And then he took the cup after supper and he blessed it. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. You No longer do you make sacrifice of animals. I am the sacrifice. And through the blood of Jesus, you are forgiven. You are cleansed. He says, whenever you drink this, remember that. And so now when I come to the table and I've allowed the Holy Spirit to examine my heart, I take the bread and I, I dip it in the juice and go, God, I am such a goober, but I am your goober. Thank you. Thank you for forgiving me, God. God, your grace is amazing. And when I walk through that exercise and I come back to my chair and I go back into Monday, guess what I'm less likely to do? I'm less likely to judge everybody else because I've been reminded I am saved by grace, through faith, not of works that I may boast. God wants you to know him. So let's stand together. We're going to pray. I want to challenge you this morning. Maybe you're here this morning. It's the first time you've ever heard it taught this way. And you're like, wow, I thought you Christians were horrible people. I just want to come see the show. We are people that have been saved by grace. We will disappoint you sometimes that we are doing our best to let God be formed in us. And what he's offered us, he's offered to you too. That there is a way to salvation, there's a way to that freedom you've been seeking elsewhere, and that is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And he reveals himself to you. That's that yearning inside. And the Bible says that, that what happens is when we come to that place of saying, I, I recognize this is real, then we, we do this. We just ask God to do what God has done for us. We say, God, forgive us of our sins. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he died on the cross for my sin. There's nothing I can do about that. Then he rose from the grave, and by his power I'm made new. The Bible says when we do that, we are what he's called saved. And saved means that right there we're made new. God begins to work inside of us. He begins to change those things that we can't change, those things we've wanted to change. And he makes us a new creation. That is his salvation. And then he calls us to reflect that to others. Show them who God is through how you live.